This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. All right, so tonight we're going to start exploring how to use well-told stories to point others to Christ and encourage them to take his word to heart. Um, So we're trying to take the principles we've already talked about, and now we're saying, how can those principles apply to me and to the interactions and opportunities that I have? Uh, So tonight we're going to consider the subject of using stories to engage. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll begin with the story. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to gather together to learn. We ask for your grace to take to heart uh, the lessons that can help us and guide us and uh, cause us to grow. We ask that you would help the principles of your word to be true, or to be clear, uh, that those truths would uh, reach into our hearts, and uh, that we would see how uh, this mode of storytelling can be a helpful part of engaging others with your truth, with your word. Guide us in this, we ask. May the words that I say and the thoughts that all of us have uh, be pleasing to you and be right in line with your truth, with your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A wealthy landowner impatiently awaits the return of his servants. Uh, They should have been back. It was a long journey, but it's gotten to the point that he's sure that something must have gone wrong. Maybe they met with trouble along the way. Or maybe they met with trouble at their destination. Maybe. No, that couldn't be it. Just to be sure, he sends more servants out, giving them the same task as the first group. They're to make the long trek back to his property, and they're to inspect his vineyard and the wall and the tower that he has built, They're also to get a full report from the keepers that he has hired to watch over and care for his vineyard. And then his servants are to return to him with their report. So he sends out the second group, and again he waits. And again, the time passes when they ought to have been back, and he has no news. So he grows apprehensive. Perhaps his suspicions were right. Perhaps... The keepers aren't watching over his property as they promised they would. Perhaps they've kept his servants from returning because they know that they would bring a bad report. Perhaps the keepers are trying to seize this land for themselves. What happened to his servants? Were they bought off by the vineyard keepers? Were they threatened? Were they killed? The owner needs to know. And he wants to settle the matter once and for all, and he knows what he can do to show the keepers of the vineyard that he means business. So he sends his son, reasoning that the keepers will surely show the proper respect to the heir of the property. Instead, the keepers see an opportunity. This is the heir, they say among themselves. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they do just that, driving the son out of the vineyard and murdering him in cold blood. At this point in the story, Jesus stops, and he asks his hearers, When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? He will miserably destroy those wicked men, 
his devout Jewish hearers reply, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Well, then Jesus surprises them by quoting from Psalm 118 and turning the spotlight on them, affirming that they, his hearers, are the rejecters of the stone which God has ordained as the cornerstone, as Psalm 118 puts it, telling them, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. To Jesus' hearers, the application was clear. Their Jewish heritage is not enough. If they reject God's anointed one, then they will experience not his gentleness, but his wrath. Jesus' hearers have once again allowed themselves to be pulled in by one of Jesus' stories, only to be challenged with an uncomfortable message. If only Jesus weren't such an effective speaker. Now, I've commented multiple times in this first half of the class on how effectively Jesus used stories. He accomplished much through his storytelling. And one of those things that he did again and again is use stories to engage his hearers. Uh, the stories, he used the stories to pull them in to consider the truth that he had to share. A truth which often was not something they wanted to hear. But those stories drew them in and prepared them to hear what he had to say. Now as we talk about the subject of engagement, I want to be clear what I'm talking about. And to do that, I want to introduce you to five levels of communication. You have this on your handout. But I want, to I want you to think of these circles as a, repre a representation of the heart and mind of an individual. And then think of each of those individual circles as a barrier. So each barrier that is overcome lets the one on the outside uh, access an increasingly deeper part of that individual. All right, so effective communication is not just on the outside. Effective communication is going to overcome those barriers and really get inside and impact that hearer, really get to the heart. So that's our goal, um, but there are barriers to getting there. And so that's these, these five levels that I want to consider. To have any kind of communication, you need recognition. Now, this is really basic, all right? Um, but I want us to just be able to think about this, the full picture. So... Without recognition, no communication at all takes place. Recognition simply means I realize that someone is trying to communicate with me. All right? If you're trying to talk to somebody and they don't know you're trying to talk to them, communication cannot happen. All right? This is super basic, like I said. Um, and this can be a valid obstacle in some cases. There may be a physical impairment that causes somebody not to be able to hear what's being said. There can be things going on with the environment, loud noises, um, somebody wearing earbuds, all right? Different things can cause that, that barrier to be there and not be overcome. But we're not gonna focus there. That's not what we're doing with this class. We're just gonna start with the assumption that as you're trying to communicate, you've, you've overcome this barrier. Somebody knows you're trying to communicate. You've gotten that far, all right? The next barrier is understanding. So this goes beyond just that person is trying to communicate something to I comprehend what that person is trying to communicate. All right, and there's two levels to understanding. One is a very basic level. Uh, the level 
where you have the ability to comprehend the words that are being shared. All right. Um, again, this is a valid thing to consider. Um, questions like, am I being loud enough that somebody can hear the words that I'm saying? Am I speaking a language that the person who is trying to listen can understand? But again, that's outside the scope of what we're focusing on this class. I do want to focus on that second level of understanding, which goes beyond just, I comprehend the words being said to, I understand the meaning of what someone is trying to communicate. All right, not just, I can, I can give you the definition of each of the words that they're telling me, but I, I'm, I get it. You want people, as they're listening, to reach that, that, oh, moment where you're not just communicating in the same language, but they're getting the message of what you're trying to get across. And we'll talk a little bit later about how stories can aid in that. But many communicators stop there. As long as the people who are listening understand them, they're happy. But as we're thinking specifically in spiritual, um, considering you know, spiritual principles as it comes to communication, trying to communicate uh, to the heart, trying to communicate the word of God in a way that's going to change people's lives, just getting to the point of understanding is not good enough. We need to go deeper than that. So truly effective communicators are going to continue on to interest. This is where the hearer goes from just, I comprehend what this person is communicating, to I want to listen because I'm interested in what is being said. Um, this is where you go from sitting back, listening, nodding your head, to leaning forward, maybe with the head cocked to one side, the, the squint going on. I really want to listen to this. I'm interested in this. I, I care about what this person is saying. All right. Th this is um, a deeper level than just understanding. They're not just taking in the message but they're engaged in the message in a deeper way. But going beyond that, you can take it a step, step further to investment. This is where someone says, I'm not just interested in what you're saying. I care. I recognize that there is a real weight and significance to this message. This is where we really start to get to the meat of what we're going for with communication as we're seeking to communicate to others for the Lord. Getting to the point where this is not just something interesting for me to listen to and enjoy, it's something that makes a difference in my life. All right, That's what we're talking about when we talk about investment. It goes from just engaging the mind to engaging the heart. And then finally, and this is the ultimate goal of all effective communication, application. This is where someone says, this communication has an impact personally on my life. Something in my life needs to change in response to what this person is communicating to me. That's the ultimate goal when it comes to communicating, specifically as we're thinking about communicating for the Lord. We want to get to the point of application. How does what is being shared need to change my life? So if we're going to get there, we need to consider these different levels, these different steps. And I believe that once we get point that past that point of recognition, storytelling can serve to help in all of those other levels in overcoming those barriers. 
One of the reasons that stories are so helpful when it comes to trying to communicate the truth to others is the fact that they can be vital to each of these steps. So once you reach, um, once you begin to strive for understanding, storytelling can help you navigate through this. Um, I think you'll find with what we consider tonight, the principles we'll look at are broadly applicable to all of our interpersonal communication. But as we're thinking about this matter of engagement, a lot of these principles are going to be especially applicable to preaching and teaching the Bible. So as you're having the chance to, in some setting, um, you, you're, you're teaching, you're, you're, you're preaching, you're sharing God's word in that sense. It, a lot of the principles we'll look at are going to be especially helpful as you have opportunities like that. Some of you have regular opportunities that way. Uh, some of you may not at this point, but this is something good for us all to think about. And even if it's not really a formal setting, as we're thinking about teaching, uh, these are some, some helpful things to consider. So how does this work? How do stories serve to help you in the matter of engaging people with the truth? Well, let's take the layers one at a time. So like I said, we're going to skip right past recognition. We're going to say we've already got that taken care of. This person knows I'm trying to communicate with them. All right, we've gotten past the first level of understanding. They can hear me. They know my language. Now we're getting on to trying to really get to true understanding. Stories can help answer the question, what do you mean? So somebody might say, okay, I understand what you're saying, but what do you mean? What is the meaning behind what you're trying to share? Often in a teaching sort of scenario, it can be easy to give a lot of information but never really bridge the gap to where the hearers really understand what's being communicated. Uh, there is a principle that um, I was taught when I was in college that stuck with me. It's been helpful to me. And I don't know exactly where it came from. There were multiple teachers there that would talk about this. But they talk about um, connecting the known with the unknown, beginning with the known and then bridging that to the unknown. And that's what we've got to do when we're, t when we're teaching, all right? You don't just jump into new material right away because it leaves people scratching their heads and saying, what do I do with this? How do I assimilate this? How do I understand what you're talking about? A good teacher is going to start with information that hearers already know and understand is going to connect those, th those concepts to the new concepts that are being shared. Stories as we're thinking about teaching, as we're thinking about sharing information, stories can be really helpful in bridging that gap. Because, like we've talked about, stories are about people. Stories connect to the things that people experience and know. And so stories can often serve as a really helpful bridge from here's something I know and ex have experienced to here's this idea out here that I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around. And if a, stor a, a story is well told, it can bridge the gap between those two things, connecting the known to the unknown. Stories can serve as some of the best illustrations. And that's really what an illustration is about. It's about taking something you understand and connecting it with something you don't understand to shine a light on that truth and help you really get it. A story is often easier to understand than just a list of, of propositions, a list of ideas. 
So if they're used well, they can make even complex truths digestible. Can take something that, that seems complicated and reduce it down to where you, you understand the simplicity of it and you can begin to understand that idea. Now, let me just give you an example. If I asked you to explain the biblical term justification, how would you do it? All right, so one thing that we would tend to go towards is some sort of a definition, all right? So there, there's the phrase, just as if I'd never sinned. Um, there's the definition of declared righteous. Um, but let's be honest, many of the definitions that we give, especially I feel like for theological or biblical truths, don't really serve to clearly explain them. So we've got these, these, these definitions that we hear. Um, you know, grace, unmerited favor. A parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Um, inspired, breathed out. And these are things that if we've been in church for a while, it's just second nature. You, you give me this word, I'm ready with, the, with this definition. Often, though, those definitions can just become words. And it doesn't really shine a light on the truth of what you're sharing. Um, in fact, sometimes, some of the definitions I hear, I feel like make it even more confusing than the word itself. All right? So... If concepts are truly going to be clearly expressed, they need to be illustrated. So if I asked you to explain the term justification, and you realized that I was struggling to understand, all right, the definition's not working. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not able to wrap my mind around it just with you, you giving that definition or whatever. Um, where would you turn? I think many of us, if we're put in that situation, would turn to... A story all right now it might be an actual true story if you have experience with the justice system um, most likely it would not be a true story from your own experience you would you would put me in a hypothetical situation all right which by the way is a form of story where you would ask me to imagine a courtroom and a judge and a defendant and a not guilty verdict all right, so you paint this picture for me of this, this courtroom, and you say, let me explain to you what justified means. It means you're standing before the judge, and the judge says not guilty. That's justified. That's what it means to be declared righteous. That's what it means for the, the, the record to be set straight, for it to be clean, all right? So that's probably where you'd go to explain it. And that's going to help somebody understand and grasp that truth much better than even the very best of dictionary definitions could. So stories can really aid with our understanding. They can help us to bridge that gap between what I know and what I don't know. They can introduce these ideas. They can teach in some really helpful and amazing ways, especially as we think about them in the terms of an illustration. Now, how many of you remember when Pastor talked about his last name? and the change from Ashy to Asher, all right? So he talked about the fact that his family used to be the Ashy family, and they were a bunch of scoundrels, all right? He talked about specifically the time that one of his relatives, I don't remember who exactly it was, 
tried to shoot his wife and shot the furniture instead, um, is pretty messed up family, all right? Well, then he talked about, and I, I don't remember all the details, but I think it was his grand, grandfather who was the one who got saved. And how God really turned his life around. He ended up distancing himself from the ashes, and they added this R onto the end of his name, partially to solidify, I'm not one of them. <laughs> all right? And he talked about how his other members of the family got saved and how God really transformed his family um, by his saving grace. And that this family that used to be a bunch of hooligans, now there's all these people who know the Lord and love the Lord and they're encouraging each other in him. And um, he talked about how that change in name is really a picture of the change that God made in his family. An illustration like that it's not just memorable. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I don't remember anything else from the message that he preached that day. Maybe with some prodding I could remember. I, I don't remember the title, I don't remember the text, I just remember that story. But it also helps us really think about what it means when we talk about the power of God's grace. When we talk about the transformation that accompanies redemption. You can talk about those ideas, but then when you tell a story like that, it, it paints a picture, and it really aids in your understanding. It shines a light on that truth. Um, I, I loved uh, something that Brother Polly said at the couples retreat on Saturday. Um, he said, sometimes the greatest instruction is found in illustrations. I thought that was interesting, because I've thought that before, and I thought, you know, am I, am I off base thinking that? But then he said it, so I don't feel so bad about it anymore. But isn't it true that sometimes a, a well-given illustration teaches us much more than a whole bunch of words can? So a good illustration can sometimes be the key to an effective sermon or an effective lesson. Um, stories can help you to break through the understanding barrier. So as we're talking then about these principles of communication, we've got the, the um, recognition, we've got the understanding. What about interest? Well, this piece is about curiosity. And if your hearers aren't curious, then you're never going to be, be able to get beyond just mental assent to your material. All right? You can have a professor standing up here and a bunch of students out there, and they can all understand and they can all nod their heads and all say, you're right. That's true, that's true, that's true, that's true. But if you don't ever get to the point of interest, it's not going to go any further than that. It's just going to be a list of information that people perhaps are learning, perhaps they're not, perhaps they're just agreeing with. So this interest piece is important for us to think about. One of the effective functions of stories in teaching and preaching and just in communication in general is attention. Stories serve different purposes, but they can certainly help you engage the curiosity of your hearers and make them want to listen. If you've ever spoken in any sort of public way, you know that attention is a tricky thing. Um, there's this old idea out there, I don't know where it came from, um, about attention spans. and so. They'll, they'll tell you this, especially when it comes to communicating with kids, that somebody's, a, a child's age 
is the length of their attention span in minutes. So, a, uh, you know, a four-year-old has a four-minute attention span, a nine-year-old has a nine-minute attention span. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I think that whole thing is complete hogwash. All right? That's because attention span, attention spans are, uh, are not fixed. I guarantee you that I could lose a three-year-old's attention in less than a minute. No problem, all right? But I also could keep a three-year-old's attention for 10 minutes, even longer, if I tried hard enough and if I was effective enough in the way I was communicating, all right? So, yes, it's easier to keep the attention of someone who's older. It's easier to keep an adult's attention than it is a child's most of the time. But we can't think of attention spans in that fixed way, all right? I've got their attention for 20 minutes. We need to realize, and I think this responsibility always is on the communicator, it's my job to keep them engaged. I can't rely too heavily on the self-discipline of my listeners to hold themselves and hold their attention. That's my job. One of the things that can really help with that is stories. Because they grab people's interest, they draw them in, they they appeal to their curiosity. They help to get and maintain that attention. Now, one biblical story that I think is a great example of using a story for engagement is the tale of the prophet Hosea. He begins his 14-chapter book with a story about him and his wife, Gomer. And from the very beginning, we're told that this woman is a wife of whoredoms. And we're told that Hosea is commanded by God to take her as a picture of God's relationship with the people of Israel. So immediately, we're curious about what's going to happen with this relationship. We're also curious, why would God use this as a picture of his relationship with the nation of Israel? And just imagine Hosea's listeners, who are part of the nation of Israel, are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, what's going on with this? What's going to go on with this story? And why is God using this as a picture and how is this story going to end up? And how is our nation going to end up? And so Jose uses this story to, to grab the interest, grab the attention from the very beginning of his hearers and prepare them for the message that he has to share. So on this level of interest, we can first use stories to grab attention. All right, remember, I said that I, I probably won't care about your story in the end if I don't care about it in the beginning. The same is usually true with any kind of address. So whether it's preaching a sermon, teaching a class, speaking in a work meeting, or talking around the family table, you need to give me a reason to listen to you. By the way, if your family is anything like mine, talking around the family table is often one of the hardest places <laughs> where you really have to vie for that attention. You really have to give people a reason. All right, but anyway. Um, so stories can serve as an important part of that. And sometimes that means you'll actually want to start out with a story. Um, pay attention the next time you're listening to someone speak and they choose to begin with a story. Notice what happens in the room. It's, it's amazing to me how when somebody steps up to speak and they start out with a story, it, it's, it's a, you can feel it. People zoned in people listening, and people realizing 
maybe this wasn't what I expected it was going to be, and their and their 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 attention is there. If the story is well chosen and well delivered, it can serve as a wonderful entryway into the material that's being shared, and it can help with lasting attention for what's going to follow. Now, that doesn't mean that if you start with a story, it doesn't matter what, what you say after that. As long as I start off well, I can just drone on and on and on and on, and they'll keep listening. Well, we all know that's not true. But often, beginning with that story can grab their attention from the beginning and can really help. Uh, another technique to grab attention right from the beginning is to couch your address within a story. Uh, this is an interesting technique, but one that as I've looked at different speeches specifically from history, I see over and over again. Um, some of, if not all of, the most famous speeches um, use, use this technique. So one masterful example is the Gettysburg Address. Begins, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. So Lincoln begins with a look to the past, but then immediately he's connecting it to the present. And he says, now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. Um, so he's taking the, the past and he's drawing it into the present, and he's, he's telling his hearers from the very beginning, there's a storyline here. And we're part of it. And what's going on right now, what's just happened, what I'm addressing you about is part of this ongoing story. And he, he ends with a look to the future. He says, it is for us, the living rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. So what is he doing? The whole speech is in essence a story. He's looking to the past and saying, here's what happened. He's drawing it to the present and saying, here's what's going on now. And he's looking to the future and saying, here's where we're headed. Here's where we need to head. And he's putting his hearers right in the midst of this story. He's saying, you're part of the storyline. Here's where we're at. Here's what we're looking back at. Here's what we're looking forward to. It's a masterful technique. And it's one of the reasons that this, this speech has gone down in history. Another reason is because it was so short. And so you can memorize it. And also doesn't drone on and on and on like most of the speeches in that day did. But um, we could talk about the length of your stories later at another time, perhaps. <laughs> anyway, another example of this um, idea of couching your address within a story is Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Interestingly, he begins the speech by pointing back at Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation. And then he looks at the present... And then he looks to the future where he says, my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So again, he's telling a story with this speech. 
He's saying, look back, this is what happened. Here's the situation we find ourselves in now, but here is what we're looking towards, here's the goal. Again, one of the reasons that this speech has gone down in history, because he's putting his hearers right in the middle of this story, saying, here's where we're at. You are characters in this story that is ongoing, and here's where we're headed. So they placed themselves and their hearers in the middle of a story and got and kept their attention by doing so. So stories can also help you to keep attention. Sometimes when we're trying to teach especially, uh, it can be explanation, 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 and it can all be logically constructed. It can naturally build on itself. Um, it can be a perfect progression of thought. But sometimes that logical progression can become numbing. So you can say, here's proposition one, all right? And then we're going to build proposition two on top of proposition one, all right? And then we're going to go on, we're going to build proposition three on, on top of proposition two, which, by the way, also links back to proposition one. Here's the logical progression. And it can all work, and it's all true, and it makes sense, but it's boring people to death. And so a lot of times a story can be kind of like a splash of cold water in the face, all right? It's something to, to, to break it up so it's not all the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. A good story can at the same time be helping people with their understanding and also getting their attention back, keeping their attention, keeping them engaged in what you're saying. You want to vary the tone and intensity of what you're sharing, and sometimes a story just gives people a chance to breathe. Now, I mentioned when we were talking about pacing last week, then in the story itself, you don't want to overwhelm your hearers by giving... You want to give them a chance to process what you're telling them. You want to give them a chance to breathe, okay? And sometimes a story can be the chance to breathe as you're, as you're giving information, information, information. Um, but it can just help to break things up. It can keep it from being exhausting for them on the one side, and it can keep it from boring, boring them to death on the other side. It can help bring the truth you're sharing to life because it's not all the same. All right? You've got ups and downs. You've got variety. And uh, that's going to help keep people engaged. Sometimes a story can just give people a chance to catch their breath and say, all right, we're ready for the next thing. All right, so you've been teaching, you've been sharing truth, and you kind of take this little break with this story. It helps everybody catch up, all right? I used the picture of the hike last time. And sometimes you've got to take a little break because there are people straggling behind. You've got to let them catch up with everybody else or they just get discouraged and give up, all right? Sometimes a story can, can do that. It can just help us get our bearings and say, here's where we're at, we're ready to plow forward, Okay, let's, let's keep going. All right. So, stories can help us with our understanding and, and also with grabbing and maintaining interest. But remember, that's not all we're shooting for. We want to continue on. We want to keep driving till we get to the point of application. So the next point we want to reach is investment. What does it mean to be invested in something? Well, you've got a friend who has a great idea. All natural toothbrushes. 
So he's got this stuff that falls off of the pine tree in his backyard. And so um, he's fashioning the handle out, handles out of the wood, and then he's using the needles as bristles. He's very excited about this, all right? In our all-natural society, uh, he knows that people are going to go crazy about this product. So he set up his online shop, and uh, he, is, he is quite sure that these things are going to sell like hotcakes. I don't know about you, but um, I would be interested. I would genuinely want to know more about how he makes them. I'd want to go online and check out his shop. I'd want to check back with him and see how the sales are. I'd be interested. I, I, would, I would say, this is kind of a crazy idea, but who knows, you know? I, I'm interested to see how this will pan out. But if he asks you to invest, that's an entirely different matter. If he said, here's the idea I've got, I want you to uh, be a part of my, of my Kickstarter campaign. All right? I want you to, to give a sizable amount to really help me get this thing off the ground. Help me uh, get production moving. Help this shop to, to get going online. All right? I want you to be one of the, the ground level investors. That's going to take it to another level. No longer am I just going to be casually interested and, and, and wanting to know what's going on just to see how things go. I'm going to be very interested in finding out, how are you producing these things? What's the, what's the process? How, how, are you, how are you making this happen? Let me take a look at your site. What are you doing as far as a marketing campaign? And when those reports start coming in, I want to look very closely at the revenue. How much money is coming in? How well is this investment working out for me? That takes it to a, to a much higher level. It takes it much deeper than just, yeah, I'm interested to see how this works. And if it all comes crashing down, you know, I'll feel bad for him, but no big deal. Investment means I am tying something of my own into this. It can be financial, it can be personal, but investment means you're willing to assign meaning and value to that other thing. You're willing to tie yourself in. You're willing to, to, to in some sense, make... Uh, what's right. There's, there's risk involved in that. What happens with this is actually really going to matter to me. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and many of them I, I listen to simply because I find them interesting. I love history podcasts that are well produced. Um, they're just interesting. I love to learn the stuff that I can learn from them. There are some science podcasts that I enjoy listening to. Sometimes just podcasts that talk about um, unique places or things or, or just explain how everyday things work. I, I find that stuff interesting. I enjoy it. But very rarely do I find myself listening to one of those podcast episodes and saying, man, this is really significant for me. This is something that, that I'm willing to invest in. On the other hand, when I get home in the evening and my wife is telling me about what the kids have done and said that day and what's going on, gone on at home, that's, much, that's a different level from those podcast episodes I've been listening to. I'm invested, not just interested. I care about that because it's personally connected to me. It's something that matters to me. It's something I'm willing to take a risk. I'm, I'm willing to, to tie myself to that. So how do we bridge that gap? How do you get from 
this is an idea that's out there. It's a proposition. It's something that's theoretical to somebody saying, this is something personal to me. It's not just something I'm interested in. It's something I'm invested in. How do you communicate in a way that helps your hearers to care? Not just because they want to know what's going to happen, but because they recognize a significance to this that's deeper than mere curiosity. That's a big question to answer. Um, they need to realize there's something for me to learn here. There's something that has the potential to have an impact on my life. And that's really important for us because when it comes to sharing God's word, that's always true. This is always something that does matter to their life. This is always something that does make a difference for them, that they do need to take seriously, that needs to go beyond just being an idea to being something personal. Stories can help with this because stories talk about universals. They talk about a human being facing a dilemma or a decision or a crossroads. Stories show us truth connected to people. Stories are almost like an illustration of an idea going from interest to investment. Because the person in the story becomes invested in what's going on because it's happening to them. And so as we see that person connected to that idea, it helps open our eyes to how our lives connect with that same truth. It can help take us beyond just, ah, oh, that's, you know, I'm curious about that, to, wow, that is something that's connected to my life. That is something that matters for me, too. It's not just about that person. It's not just about an idea floating out there somewhere. This matters for my life. Honestly, I think this principle is one of the things that has made fairy tales so abiding. Because fairy tales address universal human experiences in creative ways. All right? The things that happen in fairy tales are not universal human experiences. But they address some of those things that we experience. Uh, virtues and vices um, get shown and the consequences of those things are shown. Think about the boy who cried wolf. That story makes us think about the consequences of playing fast and loose with the truth. It makes us consider how important it is that we, not just the boy in the story, tell the truth. Always. Now, there are some inherent issues with fairy tales if they're not used carefully. And I'm going to comment on that briefly a little bit later on. Um, so don't, don't think that I'm rubber stamping and saying, fairy tales are great. Use fairy tales all the time. All right? We've got to be careful. Um, but investment is the point where a message becomes personal. This is where somebody either consciously or unconsciously realizes this is about me. All right? So this is our goal. Stories can help us to, to take our hearers to this point. But finally, the ultimate goal with effective communication is application. Now, I'm only going to touch on this point tonight because we're going to look into it in much more depth in Lesson 8. But I do want to point out that well-told stories will lead the hearers to the point where they're forced to ask and answer the question, what do I need to do? This is the ultimate goal when we're communicating the truth of God. 
is to get people to the point where they're asking and needing to answer the question, what do I need to and what am I going to do in response to this? Again, stories can be really helpful in this. I think again about the story of Hosea. And he, this, this story goes through the first three chapters. He talks about the birth of three children whose names signify things that are going on with Israel. Chapter 2, Hosea is pleading with his adulterous wife to return to him, even as God pleads with idolatrous Israel to return to him. Then in chapter 3, Hosea finds his wife where the depths of sin have led her, prisoner to her own lustful life. And he buys her back to himself so that she can again be his and he can show her his love, a love that is not changed. Then God likens this love to his forgiving love for Israel. And he speaks in that third chapter of a day when the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So as Hosea shares this story, he was bringing his hearers to the point of application. It was clear and inescapable for them. God has loved them and continues to love them. And what are they going to do in return? continue on in their sinful idolatry or return to the one who loves them and desires to be their God. The story, or the, This story then sets the stage for 11 more chapters of God pleading with the people to return to him. And uh, So just one example of a well-told story clearly communicating the truth, truth and driving all the way to the heart demanding a verdict. I do want to say just a word. I gave you a little box there at the end about using fictional stories. Um, a few tips there. First of all, give it a try. All right? Fiction scares us sometimes. All right? I know it scares me. I'm used to nonfiction. I'm used to. I'm not used to this made-up stuff. All right? But I'll remind you, Jesus did it a lot. So. Some of us are gifted in this way when it comes to creating our own stories and sharing them. Some of us are not, and I would put myself in the not category. I'm trying to work on that, but, um, but don't, don't say that's not valid. I'm going to just ignore that part. I'm not going to worry about fiction. All right, give it a try. That's my, my encouragement to you. Um, make it believable. So remember, it needs to be true to life. Sometimes people will um, tell these fictional stories um, that just paint things in a really unrealistic light. All right? They're trying to get a point across, they're trying to get to, to teach a moral, and they just create a completely unrealistic story in doing that. And that's not going to be effective. All right? If it's not true to life, it's not going to ring true, and um, if it's not accurate, it's just not going to, to have that, that strength that a true story would have. And then finally, beware of moralism. Now, moralism is basically the idea, life goes better and the world is a better place when you're a nice person. So be a nice person. Um, this is something we need to watch out for as Christians, all right? Um, but this is one of those areas where I think we need to really be really careful with fairy tales. Because that's the basic premise behind most all fairy tales. This person was not a nice person in this way, and therefore this bad thing happened to them. All right? If they had been a nicer person, if the boy who cried wolf had been a more truthful person, he wouldn't have gotten eaten by a wolf. If you don't want to get eaten by a wolf, 
tell the truth, all right? Um, that's kind of the idea of moralism. We are called to something much higher than that. We are not appealing to, you want to have a good life? Then do good stuff. No, we're going back to God's word, the principles that he shares, his truth. And so we need to be careful about this, this idea of, of moralism, where we're just sharing this story and like, you want life to go well for you, then be a good person. No, we need to go back to what does God have to say with us, about this. That needs to be the foundation on which this is, this is given. That needs to be the source from which this flows. So with that said, you could use something like a fairy tale if you're tying it back to the truth of God and saying this is an illustration of what God has said in his word. If it's true to God's word, if it's something that can point people to what he said, then it's valid. If it's just built on this moralistic foundation, it's not, no matter how good the story is. So with that in mind, for you tonight, I want to share very quickly a fairy tale. Now, depending on which version you have heard, this story is either about a Johnny Cake or a gingerbread man. Now, a Johnny Cake is basically a cornmeal pancake, and um, it's just not anywhere near as human-like as a gingerbread man. And I have a hard time imagining that it rolling along the ground, or even worse, sprouting arms and legs and running along the ground. So we're going to stick with the gingerbread man, all right? So there's an old man and an old woman and a little boy. And one morning, the old woman decides to do a little bit of baking. So she carefully uh, creates this, this gingerbread. She crafts it into the shape of this little man, and she puts it in the oven. And she tells the little boy, keep an eye on it. And when it looks like it's done, uh, let me know, and I'll take it out of the oven. So the little boy's watching, and he's, he's watching it bake, and it's looking better and better. And he gets to the point where he says, I think it's probably done. So he opens up the oven. To, to, to look at it closer before he calls the old woman to come and get it out of the oven. And to his great surprise, the gingerbread man jumps up on his feet and he runs out of the oven. Uh, he runs across the kitchen, out the open front door, and he's out on the road before the boy knows what's going on. Now, he's a little boy, so he recovers quickly, and he gets up on his feet and he runs for the door as well. And he shouts for the old man and the old woman, and he says, the gingerbread is running away! Come with me, run after the gingerbread, catch the gingerbread man. And so they all run together after the gingerbread man. But the gingerbread man is surprisingly fast, and the little boy gives up pretty quickly. Uh, the old man and the old woman last a little bit longer, but eventually they give up as well, and the, and the gingerbread man runs along his way. Well, he comes to two well diggers. They're working hard to dig this well, and uh, they say, where are you going, gingerbread man? And he says, I've outrun an old man and an old woman and a little boy, and I'll outrun you too. And they say, we'll see about that. And so they drop their tools and they run after the gingerbread man. Well, again, the gingerbread man is surprisingly fast for bread. And he outruns these guys as well, and they're left panting by the side of the road. He runs on and he comes across two ditch diggers. They're, they're digging this ditch, working hard, and they see the gingerbread and they say, where are you going, gingerbread? And, they, and he says, I've outrun an old man and an old woman and a little boy and two well diggers, and I'll outrun you too. And they, they say, we'll see about that, and they run after him. Same thing happens again. They're left panting by the side of the road. He comes across a bear, and the bear uh, speaks to him. If a gingerbread man can run, a bear can talk. 
And the bear says, where are you going, gingerbread man? And he says, I've outrun an old man, an old woman, a little boy, two well diggers, two ditch diggers, and I'll outrun you too. But we all know that bears can't run all that fast, and so he gives up after a while. He's running on, on two feet rather than four, so that's why he can't go very quickly. Gingerbread man runs on. He comes across a wolf, and the wolf says, where are you going, gingerbread man? And he says, I've outrun an old man, an old woman, a little boy, two well diggers, two ditch diggers, and a bear, and I'll outrun you too. And the wolf says, we'll see about that. Well, the wolf is faster than any of the others who've run after him, but he, even he can't run as fast as the gingerbread man, and eventually he gives up. The gingerbread man still has plenty of energy. He keeps running along, and he comes across a fox. The fox is lying by the side of the road. And the fox calls out to him, and he says, Where are you going, gingerbread man? And he says, I've outrun an old man, an old woman, a little boy, two well diggers, two ditch diggers, a bear and a wolf, and I'll outrun you too. And he says, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Can you repeat that? Come a little closer. And the gingerbread man steps a little closer, and he calls out even louder, I've outrun an old man, an old woman, a little boy, two well diggers, two ditch diggers, a bear and a wolf, and I'm going to outrun you too. And the fox says, I'm sorry, I'm hard of hearing. Can you step a little bit closer and repeat that one more time? And he, call, he steps right up in front of the fox and calls out at the top of his lungs, I've outrun an old man, an old woman, a little boy, two well diggers, two ditch diggers, a bear and a wolf, and I'm going to outrun you too. And the fox says, we'll see about that. But he's close enough that he just gulps the gingerbread man in one bite. Now there are several different versions of the story. Sometimes there's a river involved. But you get the idea. Isn't it interesting how the story is understandable, but it takes us past just understanding to interest to investment and all the way to application as it makes us think about the truth that it teaches. A warning about boasting and being too obsessed with our own abilities and accomplishments. A reminder that it is the proud and the self-assured that are often the most easily fooled. It's a simple story, but it's got an abiding lesson for us to remember. Now we need to wrap things up. I had a little bit more I was going to share with you tonight. We'll save that for next week. But I hope this has been helpful to you to consider as we think about these levels of communication and consider how stories can help us to break through those barriers and get to that goal, where we're trying to get with people, that point of application, where they're left with that question, what am I going to do with this truth? And if stories are used well, then they can be a powerful tool in causing us to get people to that point when it comes to God's word. That's what we're going for. And so I hope that these lessons will help you. And next week we'll continue on as we think about these, uh, the practical side of this. How do we take well-told stories and apply them to our lives to communicate the truth of God to others? Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Our Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the multitude of examples that we have of stories used to 
bring people to the point of application with your truth. I pray that you would help us to model that. Help us be careful. Help us be biblical. But help us to take to heart these lessons that can make us that much more effective as communicators of your truth. We love you. We want to be used by you. We ask that you would guide us in that endeavor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.